This show was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, Hawke's Bay's community access radio station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for enabling us to put Hawke's Bay voices on air. Good afternoon, Grey Power, Hastings and District and Radio Kidnappers listeners. This afternoon I have the privilege of talking with Ian MacDonald from Civil Defence. Good afternoon, Ian. Uh, can you just um, briefly give us a introduction about yourself, how long you've been working with Civil Defence and perhaps what you did prior to coming on board with Civil Defence, just so that our listeners know a bit about you and your qualifications and the role that you are talking to us about this afternoon. Right, sure. Yeah, good afternoon, Ron, and good afternoon to your listeners. Uh, yeah, so my background, uh, an interesting background, I think. Um, I started off with the New Zealand Defence Forces uh, in the Army, uh, and um, that was uh, well, that was over 35 years ago. I'm still involved with the Army through the Army Reserves or the Territorial Force. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, spent a bit of time overseas in the Middle East for a while, doing operations and also um, um, doing the usual training that the military does. Um, both here, Australia, Canada, places like that. Also, um, when I was a younger person, or a younger man, I sort of uh, um, went to university and um, had got myself a degree in what's called resource management, so uh, around land use planning, um, working with communities and those sorts of things. So, so I suppose my background is working with communities, um, understanding land use and how land use can be impacted by hazards, and also um, the operational side um, of the Army and, 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 and my work there. So that's excellent because um, you're well adverse to uh, your role in civil defence, especially with the Army background, and likewise with me. I'm an ex-police officer, traffic officer, so um, of 34 years. So, of course, we've got something in common that we both know what we're talking about when it comes to our certain roles. So that's excellent. Can you now uh, explain... Your role, are there any other members um, working with you that also assist you in your role uh, as civil defence? Yeah, so the civil defence group uh, is made up of the five councils in Hawke's Bay. Uh, so that's uh, uh, Waira, uh, Hastings, Napier and Central Hawke's Bay plus the Re- Hawke's Bay Regional Council. Uh, we work across all of the councils um, but we're employed by the Regional Council and um, there's 15 of us, 15 staff, and we work across um, all of those areas, but also across a range of disciplines. So we work in community work, um, so working with communities to develop their resilience plans. Uh, We have people who work in the science and hazard research area. We have people who are more operational in terms of the operational planning and response. Um, So, yeah, quite a broad... Um, range of people that, that work within the Civil Defence Group office and um, yeah but we also depend upon the council staff so normal council staff that you may see out there and have interactions with uh, they also um, have a role in an emergency so um, we are only 15 people and obviously uh, Civil Defence if we use that as it's, it, it's, I would describe it as not so much an organisation, but as a movement, uh, because civil, we are all civil defence. Um, you know, whether it be the emergency services, you know, police, fire, 
ambulance health, um, the councils get involved as well, as I've mentioned, but also the community as well. So, so it's quite a broad range of roles and it's actually I, I quite enjoy it actually it's um it's a good blend of doing a lot of different right things. this is our, our first time that Grey Powers invited um civil defense on air but we did have a retired police officer who happened to be the Clive constable who is with the civil defense he came in and addressed our organization at one of our members meetings which prompted me in the back of my mind uh, later on when we came on air to also invite, but I believe, is he still with you or has he gone on to a grass, uh, greener grasses? <laughs> He's definitely gone on to greener grasses, as, <laughs> as you say. Um, yeah, no, uh, so Alan Daly, who was the community constable. That at, was um, the one. Yeah, so yeah, he worked Alan. with us for a number of years. Uh, He's actually working for the regional council in a, in a ranger role nowadays. Oh, that's um, excellent. Yeah. All right. Oh, well, um, I'm pleased to hear that because, uh, uh, yeah, he was excellent when he addressed our um, great uh, power. Um, now, I concede and accept what you said about police, ambulance, fire. Uh, yes, all those emergency services, when a civil defence happens like earthquake. Can you just now uh, give us a... Um, the drum on that and then the involvement as you've just mentioned about the other services that assist you yeah sure so in terms of earthquakes um, obviously uh, Hawke's Bay is has got experience in earthquakes and uh, we often have them we're actually in one of the most um, seismically active areas in New Zealand and a lot of people um, probably may not know that uh, so there's a lot of research that's been done on, on what's called the Hikurangi um, subduction zone, which is off the coast, uh, and that subduction zone has the capability of producing quite large earthquakes. Uh, so, so recent research is talking about a 25% chance of a, of a major earthquake in, 50, in the next 50 years, So, and, and that's the magnitude above 8, so that's quite a large earthquake. Um, you know, the Hawke's Bay earthquake was a 7.7. 7. Yep. Um, so, so yes, yeah, so earthquakes are definitely something that people need to be prepared for. It's on our top 10 hazards. In fact, it's uh, number one on our, on our top 10 hazards. Uh, and, uh, look, people just need to be really aware of um, their surroundings, uh, making sure their home is quake-proof and safe, making sure that they've thought about how they're going to evacuate from their home after the earthquake's finished. Um, you know, we talk about um, drop, cover and hold uh, as being the first thing that people should do, but added to that, because we are a coastal region, people also need to think about what we call long or strong get gone. So if it's a long or strong earthquake, um, then you need to evacuate to higher ground because a tsunami could be happening. Right, now, of course, um, I was born in Hastings uh, back in the 40s and, of course, brought up uh, with a large family where our parents taught us to uh, stand in, under the door frame, frame or dive under the old um, wooden table, which is not like the tables of today. Um, so now you've got this new theme, drop, cover and hold. Um, in the schools, like Parkvale School, where I started off, that was the same scenario, dive under your desk. Um, so uh, is it still safe for us oldies there that we like to just go and stand under the door frame rather than 
try and get down under a table and then we can't get back up because we're 80 plus. Uh, how, 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 what's your, your reaction to that for our um, members and great power? Yeah, I mean, look, um, people have to do what what's appropriate for them and if you're standing in a doorway, then that might be the most appropriate thing for you to do. I think, though, the earthquakes that we're talking about where houses get damaged are such large earthquakes that you'll probably find it really difficult to stand up. Um, so these are the sort of earthquakes, uh, and if you've seen some of the video clips of, of Japan, um, of pe- inside people's homes, literally the home has been shaken apart. So so basically what we're saying is um, drop cover hold, so drop to the ground, get underneath something if it's a table or something, and grab hold of it. Right, but the, in the in the end of the day, don't go running outside. No, uh, no, no. that's definitely not definitely, definitely a no, outside. no. All right, look, that's fantastic. Now, of course, as we know, uh, being on a coastal area, then of course we're up for the old uh, tsunami. So, uh, can you just uh, give our members uh, a bit of a story there, and then especially, uh, I see a bit of controversy going on over the sirens around so can you just enlighten um, the listeners uh, on that um, scenario so um, here on the east coast we have got um, tsunami threats from distance what we call distance source tsunami that's from say from South America we have got many hours um, in order to warn and evacuate people um, for those sorts of uh, events but we also have as I've mentioned the uh, Hokorangi um, subduction zone, and literally a tsunami could be arriving uh, in, say, Napier um, within between 15, 20 minutes through to about an hour. So that's the sort of time frame that the scientists are telling us that a tsunami could or could arrive after a long or strong earthquake. So um, the that is why um, the message that we're giving people is if you do feel that earthquake, don't wait. Um, you need to, to start moving straight away and get out if you live on on the coast. And uh, everybody who lives in a tsunami evacuation zone, um, we sent out a letter last year. It went out to every single property within the zone. Uh, but you can definitely easily find out online from our website. And... Um, if you know that your property or where you work is within a tsunami evacuation zone, then straight away you should be moving. So look, the research is really clear um, from Japan in particular, and that, that obviously is is the earthquake um, that sort of happened uh, in 2011. And everybody can remember the scenes that you saw um, of, the, of the waves rolling in into Japan. That what they found in the research after that is that those communities that had sirens actually had the highest death rates. And the reason behind that was because people used to wait for the siren to go off. And they'd be standing around waiting. And the other thing that happens is sirens um, are dependent on power. And sirens are dependent on being up and standing an earthquake can knock over the tower or whatever they may structure they may be attached to so there's no guarantee that that the sirens will go off and and plus it takes somebody to push the button as well Um, and that person might be affected by the earthquake so really sirens when you start to look at some of the some of the other tools that we have now around um, cell phone, uh, the mobile alert system, which can be activated from from anywhere in the country. So if we have a major earthquake 
say, an, earth, an earthquake that potentially generates a tsunami here in Hawke's Bay, then it can be generated from the National Emergency Management Agency in Wellington. Um, so so those, those are the key reasons why um, Napier is looking at its siren system. Um, it, the, other, the other key thing about sirens is they actually can't tell you anything. So the sirens go off. They can't actually say to you, um, there's a tsunami coming, or um, maybe it's a storm. Maybe it's an ash fall from an eruption on the central plateau. And, and that, that is actually something that is really important. You know, you need, people need to, to be warned, but they need to be informed as well. And that's what the, uh, the mobile alerting system allows us to do, because we can put messages on it, which was, you know, tsunami, evacuate high ground straight away sort of thing. Right, for example now, I know that um, uh, 60% of my members do not have access to cell phones, me included. I don't own or operate one. I'm used to the old landline. So um, you've said that you update and let people know uh, a lot of our members also don't um, buy a newspaper. Uh, so we're struggling to keep our members informed. So you've said that you've let people know by uh, internet. What are you doing about our members that don't have access to internet, newspaper and uh, uh, radio? What what can you (laughs) help us out there? I mean, uh, when uh, Alan came in and talked to us, he had the pamphlets and we gave them out, but... um, uh, later on, I could get you to do a little write-up for our July newsletter, which goes out to 1,200 of our members. That could help those ones. But, um, yeah, we I know for a fact that only 316 people get our newsletter uh, by email with the other 11,900 wanted um, posted to them. So uh, that's why I'm basing my fact that um, a lot of our members do not have internet. Sure. Um, So can you just sort of give us a little help there? Yeah, yeah. So as I said, look, last year we had quite a big campaign of sending letters out. Uh, We still have the, the, uh, we still work with the newspapers in terms of putting information in the newspapers. Uh, Also, we also uh, work with communities around things like sinus. So, for example, we've just put up a whole lot of um, tsunami siren, well, not a whole lot, but we're starting to put up some signage um, in Napier along the foreshore um, with some maps and the such like so that people actually can find out for themselves a little bit about the hazard and, and, and how they can actually plan for it. I think, though, that um, there are always going to be challenges to get everybody in a disaster, and and I'd love to be able to to get everybody, but, um, you know, a population of, what, 140-odd thousand in Hawke's Bay, um, there will always be some people that we will miss, unfortunately, and it... So really, um, as I said, civil defence is a movement, so really this is about people like organisations such as yourself, actually being that conduit um, and actually helping to get the message out there. And definitely that's what we want to continue to do. We also have what we call a telephone tree as well, which um, we have um, our members that ring 10 members, they in turn ring another 10. So communication is there, but um, at the end of the day, there's always someone that misses out. Now, um, we'll go on to uh, flooding because it's not just only caused by the tsunami. We have rivers and heavy dullage of rain that brings the water down, which creates flooding. Can you sort of give us uh, a uh, 
eye-opening experience on how we can work with that. Yeah, so um, Hawke's Bay is is vulnerable to ex-tropical cyclones that come down um, and sit off the east coast, so Cyclone Bowler, um, people may remember that. Yes. Um, so, so, yes, but I'd have to say that we're quite well served in Hawke's Bay in terms of the um, flood protection that we have in place. The regional council and other councils have put a lot of time and effort into um, putting in flood protection works all around the Heratonga Plains in particular, but also in some places around um, central Hawke's Bay and Wairua. Uh, so we really have been quite lucky. We haven't, we've had some quite significant rain events, but we haven't actually had it where it's burst the, the banks or gone over the flood banks. Um, probably Bowler might have been the last one that, that, that sort of had. happened. So we haven't experienced like Westport down in the South Island's experience? No, not, definitely not. But, but in saying that, um, the climate is changing. Um, and, and I think we saw in uh, Napier, um, you know, a year and a bit ago, and before Christmas, that, oh, that's right. um, and... You know, that is a good example of a rain event which was centred in one sort of particular area, a few square kilometres, huge amounts of rain. Um, and I think, look, I'm just going off my memory here, sorry, but I think it was over 200 millimetres over a 24-hour period uh, in, in the in the Napier CBD area. But if you lived in, um, in uh, Clive, you didn't get as much at all. So it was that sort of concentrated, and and, though, and that actually, um, you know, the the weather forecast didn't didn't um, didn't sort of imply that that was going to happen, um, and so we had to react quickly um, as soon as we started getting the calls coming in, particularly through the one 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 system. So, so so yeah. So so I think in terms of flooding for Hawke's Bay, it's going to be more those um, those small events, but high intensity, um, short duration, high intensity events. Probably, um, while it's always a risk in terms of uh, those long rain events, and um, you know the west coast is, of the South Island has obviously been copping it quite a bit recently, um, but we usually have a fair bit of warning around those events, and, and that's a good example. We knew about those that event coming a few days beforehand. So, right. yeah. So just before we go on to the the last subject, evacuation. Just um, do you have uh, each area like Wairau, Napier, Hastings, uh, Central Hawke's Bay? Do they have a control room set up, or is there only one control room for all of Hawke's Bay? Uh, no, they definitely, Wairau and Central Hawke's Bay have um, what we call an emergency operations centre, but being smaller councils, they generally uh, are existing like their council chambers, for example, they just convert them into an um, operations centre. Uh, Napier and Hastings at the, at the current time um, use our facility, uh, which is in Linden Road in Hastings, and, and that was re uh, new building, yep. yep. So that was a new building that was only uh, completed a couple of years ago to the latest earthquake standards, and and it's got all the technology inside and all the rest of it. So uh, yeah, so and and look, we have to have alternates as well. So you know, if, but in if the our main, building, that's where the police and the fire, and, yeah, most definitely, uh, all the services would all assemble yeah. there, and yes. it would be run out of the yep. Linden Road complex, yes, uh, which would then cover. 
um, Napier, and then of course also if an emergency happened at Wire, or Wire would be up and running, but it would be mainly operational from your Linden Road um, and worked in conjunction with the um, Civil Defence and Wairau. Yes, we would work with the Civil Defence and Wairau. So, yeah, it is it is a hierarchical structure. There's a region, national, regional, local. Um, and uh, so so the, each of the councils has got trained staff uh, who can be incident management. Now, also before I go on to it, who makes the decision? Is it civil defence, police or the government that makes the uh, decision for evacuation? We might as well go on to evacuation. Mm -hmm. So evacuation is my last um, uh, item. Um, But um, now that we've been talking and it's just dawned on me to ask you that who does who is the decision maker in that final decision that declares uh, Hastings or Napier or Wire or a um, emergency uh, situation yeah so in the case of a civil defense emergency for what we're responsible for so obviously different agencies are responsible for different things uh, but for civil defense emergencies if there's a state of emergency declared and that's declared by the mayor um, of that area, then um, then the controller uh, would then make the decision as to whether there needed to be evacuations, and that was obviously based on the advice, the scientific advice, of the, say if it was flooding, for example. Uh, and so uh, we there's sort of two lots of types of evacuation. People tend to um, people can self evacuate, so they make decisions for themselves, go stay with family or friends. Or um, and, and look, we don't really use this, this very often, but it was just recently used in the West Coast. There's what we sort of would call directed evacuations. So that's where people are directly at risk. The emergency services are at risk if they try and rescue them during the event. So um, the civil defence controller can direct the area to be evacuated. Uh, and then people would be evacuated to emergency accommodation. So that's generally how we work. But we really encourage people, if they're able to, and this is why it's important that people think about this beforehand, is that they evacuate to their friends or families. It's a lot easier to evacuate to your friends or families rather than um, being uncomfortable in a hall somewhere or such like. Yeah. All right then, Ian, um, our time is up and uh, I thank you very much for your uh, input and it has been extremely uh, relevant to me and I'm sure all our listeners out there will feel the same so once again on behalf of Grey Power Hastings and District we thank you for your time in coming and addressing our members over the air thank you again thank you this show was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers Hawke's Bay's community access radio station Thanks to New Zealand On Air for enabling us to put Hawke's Bay voices on air.